inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life exam Time can't be Hello out there, welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yes, we hope, enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Today we introduce Elon Darwin and Captain Ahab. So let me make this clear as we kick off this segment that sometimes you just gotta be an asshole to prove a point. At least that's how some very, very rich and famous people have behaved in order to get the best out of the people that work for them and achievement in whatever activity in which they are engaged is enhanced by such behavior. Well, that's what they claim. There are exceptions of which Darwin will be one. So let me make it clear as I start that I have the utmost respect for Elon Musk and what he has achieved. I could never be Elon Musk. I don't claim I have his abilities, not by a long shot. And I hate the fact that Every agency of the U.S. government is after him. Nor, nor can I deny that Stephen Jobs was a genius and has done, had done amazing things with Apple. Great achievements. But still, I, I think we, and let's start with Jobs. As just one example, you know, illustrative of the typology of a certain kind of personality, a graduate, if you will, of the school of a-hole thinking. You know, during a demonstration of the features and functions of an early generation, you know, beta version of an iPod, Jobs became impatient, irritated, frustrated, aggressive, and then finally incensed at what he was witnessing during that demo. And short-fused under even the best of circumstances, when infuriated, well, that anything might happen, and it soon would. You know, his, Stephen Jobs' inner demon emerged, and to demonstrate his absolute total frustration with Apple engineering staff and to prove to his soon-to-be stunned engineering geeks their invention had failed to meet designed specs and it didn't satisfy his personal expectations. You know, the iPod was not sealed as airtight as it needed to be, nor was it as seamless as Jobs had demanded it be, and and that the engineers had failed to do their jobs to the level they were being paid to do so, at least according to Stephen Jobs. So he picked up the device, walked over, and tossed the beta iPod into an aquarium in the Apple offices. Everybody present watched the ensuing air bubbles ascend to the, uh, to the surface. And everybody in attendance in that room on that day, now with certainty, could agree that five things 
for sure were true. Number one, Stephen Jobs was pissed off. Number two, Stephen Jobs was right, however. That demo iPod sure wasn't as airtight as they thought it had been. You know, as as Nobel Prize winning uh, physicist Dr. Feynman had often asserted, when the evidence doesn't support the theory, something has to give. And it wouldn't be and shouldn't be the evidence. Science dictated the theory. No, no matter how elegant it may appear to be, it needs to be ditched. Therefore, in reliance upon the demonstrable evidence that it had failed, Apple engineers, believers in the science of things, had no choice in the matter, agreed with Jobs. Uh, Number three, a bit more engineering redesign work on that beta iPod remained to be done. And number four, (laughs) the meeting would always remain a most memorable moment in their lives. A meeting never to be forgotten. iPods and fish tanks. Never the twain should they meet again. And number five, Stephen Jobs really was an asshole. I mean, the next beta iPod did not leak. It did not leak. But truly, does a CEO of a Fortune 500 company have to be such a jerk to make his point, to get the best out of his his skilled employees? Doesn't there exist another neural pathway that Jobs might have pursued that might lead the company to excellence? Yes or no? I mean, is anger, humiliation, and embarrassment really a necessity? You know, Henry Kissinger, you know, now he's 100 years old. At age 100, he is still today fully engaged, authoring books, attempting to influence foreign policy and diplomatic affairs. And at age 100, as an aside, Joe, now that I think about it, Joe Biden, the big guy, as we now know, is unlikely to be influencing anybody now or next year, no less at 100. <laughs> One can only hope, but I digress. Back to Kissinger. When Kissinger was at the height of his powers, you know, five decades ago as U.S. Secretary of State, he was a notoriously difficult boss, known to be very, very demanding, very hard to please, and no less impressed. And he was brilliant. He worked extremely long hours, and he knew lots of stuff. And he was arrogant as hell. And this is this is not the time... The, you know, the moment in time to to argue about whether Kissinger's views as U.S. Secretary of State were right, were wrong, or, or whether his foreign policies and diplomatic approaches to things actually have proven to be in America's best long-term interest. That's a debate best left for discussion another day. But what we're talking about, we're mentioning today, is that Kissinger had an aspect of his personality that concluded that the best way 
to get the most out of people. You know, a Stephen Jobs mentality was to adopt a strategy that upon some reflection makes him appear to be in possession of some real asshole qualities. You know, did he have to adopt the strategy he employed? Was there no other way he might have done things? I mean, was this what was required in order to derive the best work from beleaguered State Department officials and employees? Well, you be, you be the judge as to whether or not Kissinger's modus operandi would extract from you your best work. One go-to trick, you know, go-to trick that Kissinger relied upon was to assign for study a foreign uh, policy diplomatic issue and assign it to a junior member of the State Department staff. He'd then expect production of a high-quality, well-thought-through position paper that it be drafted and presented to him in a time frame that he'd established that was bone-crushingly short in duration. An assignment which might only be accomplished by the burden staffer, you know, only after, after intensive and extensive research and writing, composed with the sort of Damocles positioned squarely over their heads by the Secretary of State, do, and do the unreasonably short time constraints that were imposed upon them by Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Now, paper delivered to Kissinger's office, he'd soon you know, appear at that junior staffer's desk and make a scene. And he'd suggest that the work that had been provided him was dastardly, idiotically substandard, below par, stupid actually, and unworthy of any staffer working in Kissinger's State Department. It was a disgrace so embarrassingly dumb that one's future at the State Department was at risk. You know, one's position potentially in immediate jeopardy. And then Kissinger would disgustedly toss the position paper into the the nearest garbage can he could see and demand an edited revision of the assigned task be provided him and now to be presented to him under an even stricter deadline. You know, that second draft presented, he'd again berate the employee, insult the quality of the word product, and now truly begin to question the intelligence, the capacity of the employee to whom he assigned the project. Were they worthy of even being employed in the U.S. State Department? He was seriously now beginning to question them. And he, he, he now suggests the person simply, let's admit it, may not have the intelligence, the right stuff, the capacity. I mean, today we call this the bandwidth to remain on the State Department payroll. Shit. Now he'd demand one last chance. A third draft of the policy paper was now demanded of the employee with, ev- with everything now on the line, Right. Obviously, that third draft policy piece was to be hand-delivered personally to Kissinger within an absurdly, insanely brief window of time with that person's employment 
on the line. And that final draft would have been produced under, you know, a level of pressure, the intensity of which is utilized only in the process by which diamonds are cut. Yeah. Upon, and, and upon delivery of this, no doubt, final third draft that constructed the policy position paper that Kissinger had demanded, one that met Secretary of State Kissinger's incredibly high yet unknowable, perhaps even mythical standards, Kissinger would accept the paper and then stare ominously for a discomforting period of time looking at the exhausted State Department employee, probably quaking, and then inquire of him or her in, in apparent disgust. Our, and he would say to them, are you telling me that this is the best work product of which you are capable? Yes or no? And upon receiving an answer to the question posed in the affirmative, Kissinger would then respond only to the employee. Okay, well then I'll read this one. <laughs> and, and dismiss the non-plus staffer. Now, now I ask you, really? Is this type of approach necessary to achieve excellence? Must one really be such an asshole in order to achieve excellence in whatever field of endeavor in which one is engaged? You might say, well, Kissinger was under, you know, incredible pressure himself. And perhaps he was, he might have been irritable that day. He had big issues to address, you know, Vietnam, Watergate, whoa, that he wasn't quite himself. Well, maybe. Maybe he was exhausted by Israeli-Arab affairs, as you can imagine. Well, maybe. But then, but then I, offer, I offer you this. One time, long after he had been U.S. Uh, Secretary of State, Kissinger was brought back, asked back by Harvard to offer a series of lectures uh, on foreign policy in a packed lecture hall. And he began his oration. And at some point during his lecture, one of Harvard's students had the absolute temerity to raise his hand, to ask a question of, of the former U.S. Secretary of State. Kissinger recognized the student by stating in precise terms that no one present in the room in that lecture hall that day, had come to hear you ask questions. They've come here today to hear me provide answers. There will be no more questions. <laughs> Whoa, there'll be only, only answers provided by Kissinger. Arrogance? I think so. Asshole? You bet. Was, and again, I asked the question, you know, was it really necessary to to stop further interruptions, at, you know, as Kissinger deemed questions to be, only by embarrassing a student in front of hundreds of other people in attendance? Couldn't he have just announced something simple like, you know, my time is limited, I appreciate the question, but I'm not going to be taking questions today. Or, or a Q&A will follow, time permitting, my remarks. 
I mean, couldn't that, wouldn't that have achieved the same result? Did he have to do what he did? I mean, it seems like such a jerk move to me. I mean, I would ask you to ask yourself this. Is this an environment in which you would want to work? Would your boss have to be, behave in this manner you know, to get the best you know, that you have to offer? And are you or are you not self-motivated sufficiently that you're going to do your best work because, because, well, you have pride, pride in your own work and a desire to achieve excellence to the extent that you can? Or do you need or or do you really need somebody to prod you like cattle, pound you into the ground to get you moving? And if and if you need this push, how long would you want to be prodded, you know, driven to produce work for the man? Is a good to great um, compensation package sufficient motivation to keep you employed in such a work environment? I mean, is a great pay package really worth it? Is the prestige of having work for Mr. X, you know, Stephen Jobs, Henry Kissinger, and I'm going to get to Elon Musk, was it really, is it really worth it? Question, when you grow up, would you want to behave like this? Well, that, well, that's really the subject that we'll be discussing over the course of this podcast series. Teaser alert. Elon Musk, Stephen Jobs, Bill Gates, they certainly operated with this asshole factor. They certainly believe this was not only how you got great results, this is how they wanted to go about getting those results. Now, though, those three guys all became billionaires, each of them world famous with tremendous influence and power, and they built absolutely astonishing corporation. So maybe it's just case closed. They're rich, they're famous, and they're powerful. And that proves that they were right. Kissinger also became, remember, the U.S. Secretary of State. All these guys got results. So, so maybe you conclude Hey, this is how things, big things, get done. This is how you change the world. This is how you treat other people. And you know what? Maybe you're right. You think them stupid. You call them stupid. You berate them. You embarrass them. You criticize them and demean them personally. And this is the formula for world-class success. This is the magic potion. Well, maybe, maybe. And this, and on this topic, we're going to have more to say about this subject, this approach, in the next episode of the series that we've entitled Elon Darwin and Captain Ahab. And I will bet that you can already sense that I think there's another path. Now, I haven't achieved the things that Stephen Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Henry Kissinger, not even close, that they achieved, not even close. Yet, I do believe there's another way to get the best out of people. And I think there's some famous people that will demonstrate the possibility 
exists. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. And we'll be back with Elon Darwin and Captain Ahab too soon. Bye-bye. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas.